Bibles from the back of the chairs and turn with me to page 1065. Page 1065, we're reading uh, from John's Gospel, chapter 3, the first 15 verses. So it's John's Gospel, chapter 3, from verse 1 to 15, on page 1065 of the, uh, the Bibles that are in the back of the, of the chairs. We'd encourage you to follow it as I uh, read it, and then as Graham speaks to us afterwards. It's headed in our Bibles, Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. It's good to be with you this morning. If uh, you did make the trip to come and hear Tim speak, my apologies to you. I know he's somewhat younger and a bit better looking, but uh, you've got me, so you're just going to have to put up with it, I'm afraid. But it is a privilege to be here. Um, It's always nice to come back to BH. Some of you will remember me from my days here in King's Own back in the 80s. Um, And it's always nice to come back to a place that feels like it's home, even though we're not here very often. Um, We're here for a few days, actually, this week. And I just wanted to highlight a couple of things so that you're aware of those. Uh, Tomorrow night, you'll notice on your uh, notices, we have an evening with Graham and Debbie Frith mentioned there. I think we're in the church hall here from seven o'clock and uh, we're doing a small amount of presentation about our ministry. We're going to show a video and give you a bit more detail about what's going on out in Bolivia. So if you're interested, please do come along for that. But we've also been asked to do a little bit here of what we do out there. And what we're doing out there at the moment is focusing on teaching and training and leadership development of potential missionaries and new workers in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to do a short training session on conflict transformation tomorrow night so that you can get a flavor of something of what we do out there but not only that something that might be useful to you because we all know that conflict is a part of life and it's often a painful part of life and conflict transformation is a really useful way to deal with conflicts when they come up in our lives so i'd like to invite you all to join us tomorrow night monday night here in the church hall at seven o'clock to find out a bit more about what we do and also to experience it through a short training session on conflict transformation.
We're going to be popping up during other times during the week. On Tuesday, I think we're at a meeting in the morning uh, with the mothers and tots, if I'm not mistaken, in the afternoon with the, with the ladies. And then on Wednesday, I think we're around lunchtime and evening for the prayer times. And it'll be really good to connect with as many of you as possible during these few days that we're here. On Thursday, we're disappearing off to uh, take our youngest son, Zach, to university in Bristol. And I really appreciate your prayers for Zach as he gets to, uh, to university for the first time. You know what it's like, many of you, and how important those first few days are and how you choose your friends and the activities that you get involved in. So we we'd value your prayers for Zach and for us on Thursday as we take him over to Bristol. So why don't we get into the word that we have before us uh, today. If you have your Bibles, page 1065, it would be great if you could open them up and follow what we're talking about. We've got a, a PowerPoint, which I'm hoping will be on the screen. Are we good? Yes, we are. So I've titled the passage today, Above and Beyond. I'm not promoting Land Rover. For those of you that are thinking that might be what we're here for today, I know that is their slogan. But Above and Beyond really fits with what we're going to be looking at uh, here today in this passage in John chapter 3. So I've broken it down into three sections. We've got the introduction, and then we've got Above and then we've got beyond. So let's, uh, let's get into a little bit of the introduction. So Jesus meets Nicodemus. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. We learn three things from this introduction to Nicodemus about who this person Nicodemus was. First of all, we get to know his name, and uh, this is not actually the only time he appears in this book of John. He appears again later on after Jesus' death, um, after, after he's uh, uh, been crucified, and uh, he appears with an offer of, of herbs and spices to embalm the body. So uh, we find out that he not only meets Jesus at this point, but he follows Jesus and his ministry through until his death and resurrection. We also find out that he was a Pharisee. He was a religious man. He was the leader of a strict religious sect at the time. And uh, for those of you that know your New Testaments, you'll be aware of the clash that happened often between the Pharisees and Jesus. If you think some of the issues that we're facing today with Labour and Conservatives and Lib Liberal Democrats and all the rest and the clashes politically that we're going through was, it, were pretty harsh at times. This was probably worse. The difference between the Pharisees, this religious sect, who were, and Jesus, who they were opposed to. But not only was a Pharisee, he was actually a leader in the Jewish nation. He was a member of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. If we were trying to compare that with something today, we might think that he would be in the House of Lords or potentially even one of the judges in the Supreme Court. He was a really top guy within society and within the religious circle of the day in Israel. And when we realize that that's who he was, it's surprising that he looked for a conversation with Jesus. If his religious sect, if he as a leader was who he was in the Jewish nation and they were so opposed to Jesus and all he was doing, it's surprising, it's amazing actually that he would look for a conversation with Jesus. Again, to bring it into modern terms, it might be as if Jeremy Corbyn would pop round to Boris's house 
or apartment of an evening to say, you know that Brexit thing you've been talking about, I'd like actually to find out a bit more about your ideas. Can you explain it to me? Could we imagine Jeremy Corbyn doing that this week? I don't think so. But Nicodemus did that. He went to the enemy. Fair enough. Says he went at night. He probably didn't want to be noticed. And it'd be unlike today when there's all the street lights and everything's well lit. You know, he could have slipped in in the darkness so that nobody else saw him. But he went. And that's amazing. And he went in with respect. His first statement, his first question was, Rabbi, he's recognizing Jesus' place and authority as a teacher. You are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So we find out that Nicodemus is a leader. We find out he's uh, a religious teacher. And we find out that he's actually quite brave to make this step and go and find Jesus himself and ask for a conversation. In Jesus' response here, Jesus does what Jesus often does. It was mentioned at the start that topsy-turvy, upside down, is what Jesus often does. And here, Nicodemus asks what seems to be, or enters with a nice respectful quote, where then Jesus comes in with something kind of out of left field, not really making a fair response to the way that Nicodemus started. He says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus asks a fairly normal question. He's confused. How can someone be born when they are old? How can, if I'm already old, how can I get back into the womb of my mother who's well old and be born again? It doesn't make any sense. But again, Jesus doesn't necessarily respond to the question with a simple answer. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, people more intelligent than me, commentators on this passage, would suggest that Jesus very often does this, and in, in, in the times of Israel, this would often happen. Two declarations in response that lead us to a fuller and complete answer. And we've got two separate declarations here from Jesus, talking about being born again. He replies to questions with a statement in verse 3 and again in verse 5. And he introduces the kingdom of God as a concept and a theme of being born again. Now, clearly, this idea of being born again was new to Nicodemus. And maybe it's new to a lot of people in our society today and potentially even somebody here this morning. And we want to focus on what this phrase, being born again, is all about. What does it mean to be born again into the kingdom of God? We see verse 5 talks about water, which was used as a symbol of cleansing, and the spirit, which is to do with renewal and rebirth. And then verses 6 to 8 talk about wind and spirit. And it's interesting that, they would, that Jesus would do that, but the word in Hebrew is ruach, and the word in Greek, pneuma. Actually, wind and spirit is the same word. So there's a play on words there when it comes to talking about wind 
and the Holy Spirit. But the point is this. Jesus is introducing to us the fact that there is a new reality. There is a reality above what we experience on a day-to-day basis. I really like this passage because I don't know if you've ever had the situation where you may be with somebody from work or a colleague or a friend or a family member and somebody sits down with you and says, you know what, I'm interested to know a bit more about what you believe. I'm interested in knowing God for myself. I've seen something in you or I've heard something It's challenged me. I, I, I would like to know more. And I don't know if you're anything like me, that sometimes when somebody comes to me and says, I want you to tell me about what you believe, I want to be a Christian, I want to know God for myself, we go, okay, right. But we don't quite know what to say. We're not quite prepared for that sort of situation. We're not exactly sure how we can respond to that person and how we can bring them into a full relationship with the Lord. And what we tend to do is get on the phone and ask for an appointment with the vicar or ask for an appointment with one of our leaders or try and arrange for somebody else who's a professional to explain to them what it means to know God. Where really, as believers, as sons and daughters of of God, we should all be able to to do that. And when somebody comes to me, perhaps in a counseling session in our center in Santa Cruz uh, or in Sucre, and they're, there's, you know, they've worked through some issues, they're working through some pain in their life, and they've said, I recognize I really need a deeper experience, a deeper spiritual experience of God to be able to face these issues in my life. And I ask them, Do you want to know God for yourself? And they say, Actually, I, I would. I'd like to. This is the passage I go to. And I would encourage each of us, when the opportunity arises, if the opportunity arises, to bring somebody into relationship with God, which is, after all, what we're all here for, go to this passage. Because it's a great way to talk about the fact that there is a whole reality in life that unless we know God, unless we have the Lord in our hearts through his Holy Spirit, we don't know. We're not aware of. So he talks here about the kingdom of God, about being born again. And so I explain to the person, perhaps in the counselling room, we read this passage, we, we talk about Nicodemus, we look at the question, he asks, you know, what does it mean to be born again? I can't get back into the womb of my old mother. What are you talking about? No, there's a new birth that comes because of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I, I use is a counselling model that we use in, in Alfredo. It's part of our philosophy, our basis of belief. And uh, in counselling, for those of you that are counsellors or have studied psychology, The counsellors tell us that human beings have three basic needs. Acceptance, security, significance. All human beings want to be accepted. We crave unconditional love. All human beings want to be secure. We want to have a place where we can close the door, lock it, feel secure. We can sit down in our own home. We can breathe easily. We're, We're in where we belong. We're comfortable. We're safe. And we want to feel important. We want to feel like our life matters. Significance. We want to feel like we're having an impact in this world. That There's a reason why we're here. Often people who get depressed or think about suicide are folks that actually don't think or don't realize that they've got a purpose. They don't think they fit with life. They don't fit, think, or feel like they fit in this world that there's no purpose for them, there's no importance of their life. 
And often those are the people that will move towards making that drastic decision of suicide because they're not feeling like their life has significance. So acceptance, security and significance. But we explain to the people in the counselling, but you know what, if, if that's how we are, if that's what psychologists have identified as our three basic needs, and we as Christians believe that God has created us, then presumably he's created us with those needs for a reason. And when we think about God, we think about three persons in one. We think about the Trinity. And I will say to the person, you know, God the Father, who is he for you? And most of our counsellees, coming from a Catholic kind of context, will say, yeah, I remember God. We did him in religious classes in school. Yeah, God the Creator. That's right. God the Creator is the one who gives us security. Because there's no more secure place in this life than to live within the will and the, 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 the control and the sovereignty of a creator God who loves me, who is all-powerful, who wants the best for me and can do anything. There's no more secure place than to live in the will of God. Acceptance. You remember? Who is Jesus? They say, yeah, I remember Jesus from classes at school, religious classes, yet yeah, son of God, he came to save us. That's right. There's no better example of unconditional Love, of forgiveness, of acceptance. We didn't deserve the fact that we can have a relationship with God the Father. We didn't deserve that the Lord comes down to this earth to die in our place, to take the consequences of our sin and rebellion on him, so that we can have that relationship with God again. But he accepted us unconditionally. There's no greater example of acceptance. And then I talk about significance. And I say, Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? And they say... Hmm. don't really know. Not sure. And usually, folks in our context in South America from a Catholic background, that's where they slip up. They've got the basics about who God the Father is, creator. They've got the basics about God the Son, the Savior, but they don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit. And the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to bring new life, to bring rebirth so that we can be born again and realize there's a whole existence Above our existence. I was sitting the other day waiting for uh, my son who was upgrading his Santander uh, mini 123 account into a student 123 account and it took about an hour. I mean, really, what is so complicated? It takes an hour to upgrade an account. Anyway, I was sat there waiting for them, looking around and I was thinking, you know, processing in my mind this talk that I had to give this morning and thinking, you know, what does it mean? to be born again. What difference does it make, should it make, to somebody like myself who is a believer and, and how do I kind of move beyond this just seeing everything as everybody else sees it? Just focusing on paying the bills, dealing with the problems, going to work, teaching in school, going to university, being at home with my kids. How do I move beyond that kind of position of just seeing everything as everybody else sees it. What does it mean to be born again? And how should that affect my reality as a believer, as the Son of God? And I want to get to answer that question shortly. But before I do, apart from being born again into the kingdom of God, being something that shows us there's a whole reality above our own, we're reminded in verses 9 to 15 that there's a whole reality beyond our own, not just above our own in this life, but something that is to come at the end of this life. 
Verse 9 says, how can this be? Nicodemus asks again. And Jesus replies, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. Very well, I tell you, we speak out of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Then how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So we see in verse 9 that Nicodemus is not getting it. He's not understanding what Jesus is explaining about the kingdom of God, about this whole spiritual reality above his experience of religiosity, if I can put it that way. He just doesn't get it. And so Jesus goes on to say, you know what, in verse 10, what I'm explaining to you about being born again, you know, this is basic stuff. There's a whole load of other stuff that we could talk about, heavenly things, what is to come. But if you don't even get this basic stuff, you know, what's the point? I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but you still don't accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And so there's this whole other reality beyond our life. And that's an important thing to remember because oftentimes we can think that this is it. We can feel like this life is it. And it's only often when we're confronted with death that we're challenged about what we think about what is to come. We were staying last night with a good friend of ours in London, just uh, travelled down this morning, as we mentioned, and uh, last year his uh, partner died of cancer. And that's not an unfamiliar experience to many of us to have a loved one or somebody that we know who's died of cancer or some other illness. And it's often in those times of loss and of death when we're challenged, you know, actually, what do we believe that comes afterwards? Do we really believe there is a heaven, that there is a hell? Do we believe there's a whole nother life, eternal life to come? And Jesus here is saying, yes. Yes, we do believe that. There is a heaven. And he uses heaven as a way of showing who he is. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. I'm the only one, says Jesus, who came down from that place of glory, from that place of comfort, so that I could be on this earth and fulfill my purpose of bringing you into relationship with God the Father again, of bringing forgiveness. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And then he mentions what's going to happen to him. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's making a reference there to his crucifixion, to his death and death, to his resurrection, that he will be lifted up. And then he explains why he's talking like this, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is a central theme, actually, in the whole book of John. Belief in Jesus and in eternal life through him. And he says it on more than one occasion. 
And here he's emphasizing that everyone who believes may have eternal life in the Son of Man, in Jesus himself. So he's referring us here to the beyond. He's talked about the above and now he's talking about the beyond. Being born again for eternal life. But there's a question that comes to our mind at this point as we think about what Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus and as we try and apply it to our lives. And the question is, so what? So what? What difference does this make for us? What difference should this make for us? And I would like to challenge us this morning that if we already believe, if we're already Christians, if we're already sons and daughters of God, if we've already invited the Holy Spirit into our hearts at some point in our lives, this reality of above and then beyond should make a difference to the here and now, to the everyday moment, to those conversations in the classroom, to those interactions with workmates, to those times with our families, to those frustrating times when we're sitting in a queue in Santander waiting for them to upgrade an account. Just that sense of who I am, that the Lord is with me, that I have peace with God, that there's a purpose behind all of this, that it makes a difference that God is real and I'm in him and that he's in my heart. That sense of security and that peace. You know, these days there's such a lack of peace. There's so much in terms of stress. There's so much in terms of mental health issues and I believe one of God's greatest purposes in sending his Holy Spirit is to give us that measure of peace in our hearts. Even when things are not going well. Even when life is difficult. Even when things are tough. Just to hold on as believers as sons and daughters of God to the fact that the Holy Spirit in my heart can give me peace and security in the middle of all of that. It should make a difference being born again to each of us every day. But maybe there's somebody here this morning, maybe you're here this morning, and you're not sure that you are a full believer in the Lord. You're not sure that at any point in your life you have invited the Holy Spirit into your heart, that you've repented, you've said sorry for all the wrong stuff you've done in your life. You're not sure that you have that real relationship with God. And I would suggest to you this morning that this whole idea of being born again into the kingdom of God is an opportunity for you this morning to make that decision. It's an opportunity for you this morning to say to God, I really want to know more. I really want to experience you more in my life and in my heart. I'm sorry for the fact that up until now I've lived my way, my decisions, my choices, and actually I've probably made a bit of a mess of it. From now on, I'd really like to live your way, doing what you have called me to do. And I really need you to help me to do that. So in a few moments, I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to give an opportunity for somebody here this morning, perhaps, who has never made that choice to make that choice, to accept and invite the Lord Jesus into their hearts, to be born again. That what we've looked at this morning about being born again into the kingdom of God is not just a theoretical message, but a real reality. That we who believe already can go deeper and experience it more in our everyday lives. But that those who may be here this morning who have never made that choice 
can make that choice this morning and can make that switch into the kingdom of God, into the family of God, from being orphans and outsiders to being included and accepted and part of that reality, of that relationship with God. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to focus on this passage, on Nicodemus, on that, co- that conversation with you that was so significant about what it means to be born again into the kingdom of God, what it means to be saved, what it means to be aware of a reality above our everyday reality and a life that is to come beyond this life. I pray for those of us this morning who know you, who have your spirit in our hearts already, that you would help us to be conscious and aware of your presence each day in the good times and the bad. That your Holy Spirit would be that comforter, that, per, that presence, that person that brings us peace. And that in him we would have that sense of significance, that our life matters. And I pray this morning for those of us here today who are not sure that we ever made that decision. Are not sure that we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That we have eternal life. That we have been born again. Father God, I pray that you would move into those hearts now. If that's you this morning, why don't you just repeat these words after me in your hearts. Just speak them in your hearts as if you're speaking to the Lord himself because you are. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin, for living my life my way and not your way. I invite you this morning to fill my heart with your Holy Spirit. I invite you this morning to be my Savior and to be my Lord and to help me live for you from now on. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death and your resurrection that makes this possible. And fill me right now, Holy Spirit, and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.